Thanks, JD. And thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. It is great to, great to be back with you. I am so thankful, and I want to say this off the, off the top, that i uh, so thankful for all of your encouragement, for your prayers, text, phone calls, visits over the last uh, two and a half, three weeks. The passing of my father, as many of you have dealt with in your own life, is a very uh, difficult and emotional you know, time. And I'm thankful that I did not have to walk through this by myself. I'm an only child, so I didn't have, uh, you know, my brother or sister, uh, siblings who were there to walk that journey with me. Uh, but I did have many of you, my spiritual family, and so I'm very grateful for that. And uh, my mom also wanted me to pass along her thanks this morning. She's watching online back in Alabama. And so she wanted me to be sure and to pass along and said that, you know, if, if she could write you all a card, she would. She's a part of the generation, the card writers, you know. Many of you are that generation as well, and you know what that means. And so she's been writing cards all week wanting to, to thank individuals for all of the kindness and for all the love that was shown. And she said, I just can't get everybody. And I said, I'll take care of it, Mom. I'll make sure that everybody, everybody knows. But we are... Uh, we are very grateful and uh, continue to, to covet your prayers and uh, your encouragement. I'm grateful for Jeremy, for him uh, leading us um, here as a church through studies over the last couple of weeks and continue to remember him in prayer as he and the Lees are uh, in Cuba right now and they'll be there, I believe, through Thursday of this week. Uh, but so thankful. I told him I owed him a steak dinner for um, pinch hitting uh, the way that he did and doing such a, um, doing such a great job. You know, when you're going through situations uh, like uh, we did and hospice care is called in and you have a loved one who is, uh, who's in the process of, of dying, that there are a lot of roller coaster moments that you, that you have. Uh, there are those moments where your loved one is, is lucid and there are those times when that individual is not. And you have those moments where you think, well, perhaps the... Um, that the end is getting close, and then there will be a, a rebound a little bit, and, and then you think, well, maybe it's going to be getting better. And so there's just this roller coaster. Well, there was one day where my father's breathing had slowed, and uh, we, uh, were, uh, we called the, the hospice nurse to come and uh, trying to get in contact with different relatives because, uh, again, it appeared that, that that time was close. And uh, so I was there by the bedside of my dad, and a commercial came on television, and Johnny Cash was singing in that commercial. I've been everywhere, man, I've been everywhere. And my father opened his eyes, raised up, and went, huh. <laughs> and then laid back down, and his breathing increased. <laughs> and um, so I'm thankful for your prayers and for Johnny Cash, I'm thankful for your prayers and Johnny Cash because I, I don't know, it was one of those moments that we were able to have together and I, I laugh about it. It was, it was also funny at the, um, it was also funny at, at the time, uh, but uh, we know that uh, it is because of God's strength uh, that we have been able to deal with these last few months. It's been a, a long 
a long time since February when kind of all this began. And uh, again, just thank you so much for your prayers and for the strength that comes from the Spirit of God. And uh, continue to um, remember my mom and remember uh, Micah and Emily, Tanya, and myself. We appreciate that. We appreciate it very much. We live in a, there is an app for that culture. We do. There's an app for everything, it seems. I was trying to uh, take care of some responsibilities while I was in Alabama, and my mom was like, well, how are we going to do that? And I'm like, well, hey, there's an app for that. We'll, 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 we'll get online, and, and, and we'll do it with the app, and it's going to be fine. If you want to order groceries, well, there's an app for that. If you want to find music, there's an app for that. There's an app for, for everything, it seems. And because of the way that we value both convenience and efficiency, we're constantly looking for anything that will simplify our lives. And so we come up with life hacks. Don't you guys love the life hacks that you find, whether it's online or somebody at work will tell you? Some of you have already found out that you can use a sticky note to clean off your, your computer keyboard. Right? You want to get, you want to get all, some of that um, dirt and grime out, you just get the sticky note, stick it down there, and it'll work great. And I'm not going to even ask a show of hands to see how many of you have put tea bags in your shoes. Or maybe I should do it this way. How many of you need to put tea bags in your shoes in order to get rid of the, the odor uh, that is found there? I, I know somebody, somebody's going to find some tea bags in their shoes in the morning. You're not going to be the one that put them there. You're not going to be the one. But there's going to be someone in your home that is going to go and put tea bags in your, in your shoes. It's going to happen. Or how about this? We use pool noodles to funnel water. Yeah, if you need to get water in a bucket, it's hard to see the bucket there in the picture, but that's what's there in the bottom left-hand corner. You just put that pool noodle up to the faucet. You let the water run down. Man, it's easy. It's a life hack. And I have never tried this next one. I really don't um, advise it. But supposedly, you can turn a toaster oven on its side and make grilled cheese sandwiches. Right? It's an easy way to make grilled cheese. You don't have to put it there on the stove. You don't have to worry about things. Put it in the toaster oven on its side. Pops it out right away. Now, you can try this. Some of you could try it this week, maybe. You can come back and tell us um, the name of the fire department, you know, volunteer that came to your house. It'd be a great way for evangelism, maybe. People will come to your home and, and see what's going on. And I don't know. You can try it. You know, we enjoy easy because nobody wants more complicated. We want simple. That's what we want. We want simple things in life. We don't want filing our taxes to be more difficult, right? We don't want trying to pursue financial aid for college to become harder. We, we don't wish for dating to be any more crazier than it is. We like simple. We like the simple approach. We go searching for simple in every aspect of our life, it seems, except when it comes to our religion. The religious leader of Jesus' day, well, they had developed a, a complicated religious system of 613 laws or commandments. Now, I know that some of you thought there were just 10, but no, there, there was a lot more that the Hebrews, the Jews had to follow. And then they divided this list into the do these commands and don't do these commands. And so you had affirmative and you had negative. You had 248 affirmative commands. These are things you must do. And then there were 365 negative commands. These are things that you must not do. 
And then they further divided that list up into binding commands and non-binding commands. And then they spent their days sitting around debating whether or not the divisions were accurate and which ones should be moved from one category over to the other. And then all the rabbis, all those teachers of the law and the commands, they would then come up with their own interpretations on how you could break the command or how you could keep the command. And they came up with these lists of rules. And a rabbi's set of rules and lists were called a rabbi's yoke. And when you followed that rabbi and you were taking on that rabbi's yoke, then you were learning how what that rabbi taught about Scripture and how you were supposed to keep those commands, how you were supposed to follow in the ways of all the teachers of the law. And so then when Jesus comes along into this cultural and religious setting and he says things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He is announcing himself as a new rabbi who has come on the scene who has a new yoke. And so he issued this invitation in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my, there it is, yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And notice what he says about his yoke. Notice what he says about his teaching, about his understanding of this is what God requires, and this is what God is asking of you. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invited his listeners, those listeners who were burdened down by the legalistic interpretations and requirements of their religious system, to come and to consider his yoke, to consider his teaching, to learn from him. And then he says, I want you to learn from me and find rest, not more work to do, because he said my yoke is, what's well, easy. Now that word easy is interesting. Our English language does not have a good adjective to describe the original word that Jesus used. See, that word, it means both kind and it means useful at the same time. And we just don't have a word for that. Jesus is teaching that, that look, God, when we talk about God and we talk about what God wants for us, well, it's a useful teaching and it's a gentle teaching. It's a pleasant and kind teaching. He says it's not difficult. It's not harsh. It's simple. It's the opposite of what the people have been used to. Instead of it being a heavy burden, his message was that, look, the teaching of God is easy to bear. So come and learn about God from me. And that's what we're going to do this summer. We simply just want to learn from Jesus what it means to serve God. Now look, doing so is going to require perhaps some of us to walk away from some of the yokes that we have been given in the past. Some of the teachings perhaps that, that we have heard, we've listened to other well-meaning modern-day rabbis and teachers tell us, well, this is what God requires. But we've got to be honest that simple is not necessarily how we would describe what we've heard. Complex? Complicated? Confusing sometimes? Sure. These seem like more appropriate terms as people say, well, this is what you have to believe, and, and this is what you don't have to believe, and you worship like this, and you don't worship like that. Do this, but don't do that. But guys, what if serving God is a lot more simple? What if it's more simple than we have been led to believe? Would that interest any of you who are here in the room? And, and for those of you who are watching online, you've already headed out for your, your summer vacation. 
Would it be interesting to any of you to consider the yoke, the teaching of Jesus, if you knew that it was going to be useful and if it was going to be gentle and pleasant and kind? Because let's just be honest about it. We could use some pleasant and kind right now in our world. Your family could use some gentle. Your day in and day out life could use some useful. So let's follow our teacher. Let's follow Rabbi Jesus and see what we can learn what teaching and what yoke he wants to share with us. So a couple of weeks ago, we started from the beginning, and we talked about how that Jesus assembled this new group of students, his disciples, and the, they went off to a wedding celebration. So we were at the beginning, but today I want us to go all the way to the end. I want us to go to the end because those same students who had witnessed Jesus and his kindness at the Cana wedding, well, they had spent three years being covered in the dust of the rabbi, and they were yet to discover, though, a very simple yet demanding, identifying mark of discipleship. That's what I want us to see today. Now look, we need to understand that, that since during Jesus' day, there were so many rules, and there were so many interpretations about the rules and about how you can be obedient to God. Many people came to understand serving God or having faith in God. They felt it was all about how they looked and making sure they looked the right way, making sure they dressed the right way. They thought it was all about following the right rules, keeping the right rituals. They thought it was all about making the proper sacrifice and having all of your stuff together. It was all about doing and it was about not doing. And I guess if we think about it, not a lot has changed in the way that we look at following God over the last 2,000 years. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told his young students, a new command I give you. And look, picture them sitting there in the room going, great. Because 613 was not enough. Great. 614. All right. Hang on. Let me get out my pen and pad. Let me get out my iPad. Let me, let me, let me write this down, all right? Let, let, me, let me put down, what, what is this next command that we're going to have to figure out how to follow and what to do? But it wasn't Old Covenant command number 614. What Jesus was going to talk to them about was New Covenant command number one. And this new command would both fulfill and replace all the others. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. And we hear this and we go, all right. Okay, Jesus. Love one another. That's not really that, that new. Love one another like I love myself. We, we've heard that before, we say. And they had heard that before as well. And that's what we think, right? That's where our minds go. We read the words in John 13, and our good Sunday school brains automatically connect them to the words of Jesus in Matthew 22. We hear, love one another, and we hear, well, love one another, love your neighbor like you love yourself. But that is not where Jesus was going with this. There was something new, because Jesus wasn't through. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now that's different. That changes everything. Now notice, they did not get to choose whom or how to love. This was not a love your neighbor like yourself command. This was love your neighbor like Jesus loved you. And uh, you know what? As a follower of Jesus Christ... They were expected to love each other like Jesus. And so are you. 
We have been called to connect our lives to Jesus and then demonstrate that connection in the love that we share with each other. And so that means that our differences and our disagreements cannot overshadow our love. So Christian, please hear me. I've said it before, but I want to remind you again. A person does not have to be your twin to be your brother or sister. Christians can disagree on how best to address society's inequities. Christians can disagree on on whom to vote for and whether to vote at all. Christians can disagree on, on worship styles. Christians can disagree about Supreme Court decisions. But what Christians cannot disagree on is how we are to treat one another. On this, Scripture is clear. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. An old one that you have heard from the very beginning. Do you know that for 300 years, Christians existed without the Bible as we know it? There was no New Testament Scripture. And this was a command that John says, look, you have heard this from the beginning. You have heard this. This was told to you. This is not something new. It's an old commandment, he says, to love one another. It's the same message that you have heard before. A letter to the churches in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. Paul said, we don't need to write to you, do we, about the importance of loving each other? For God himself taught you to love one another. You see, Jesus instructed his first students to do unto one another as he had done unto them. And it was personal. When we read love one another as I have loved you, we think of the cross. But understand, they didn't. The cross hadn't even happened yet. And so when he looks and says, I want you to love those who are here in this room the way that I have loved you, it became personal as their mind raced back over the past three years. And each person in the room can remember a time when Jesus loved them particularly well. Matthew, do you remember when we met? Yes, Rabbi. Matthew, do you remember what you were doing when we met? Of course, Rabbi. Everybody remembers what I was doing. I was using the authority of Rome to cover up the fact that I was stealing from my own people. And and, and do you remember what I said to you? Yes, Rabbi, you invited me to follow you. In those days, if I follow people, they were always nervous. Matthew, I want you to extend the same grace, the same grace that I extended to you, to everyone you meet for the rest of your life. I want you to love as I have loved you. And one by one, Jesus could have taken a walk down memory lane, reminding them each of the patience, reminding them of the forgiveness, reminding them of the confidence that he shared with them. Nathaniel, remember the day we met? Do you remember what you said about me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You remember that day you dissed my town, man? Remember that day you made fun of my family? Remember that day you threw my childhood friends all under the bus? But guess what? I invited you to follow me anyway. Now you go and you extend that same grace and that same forgiveness to everybody you meet. No matter what they say about you or your town or your mama, no matter what. You love as I have loved you. But he didn't stop there. 
I mean, if he had stopped there, that would still have been, you know, life-changing, world-altering. That would have been incredible if he had just stopped there. But he continued on. And what he said next, truly, is a game-changer. He said, by this, by this. You see, his circumcision was the distinguishing mark of a man that was included in the Old Covenant. So this new one another brand of love would be the mark of any man or woman who chose to participate in Jesus' new covenant. New command love was to, to serve as the unifying and the identifying mark of this called out people. His new command to love as he loved, it would become the governing ethic and the standard by which all other behavior would be measured for everyone who called him Lord. And this new command was to be applied first and foremost to others who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Christians cannot disagree on how we are to treat one another. It's that simple. Because by this, he said, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And the term this, for all of you English people out there, is a demonstrative pronoun. Now, I didn't remember that from high school. I just want you guys to know that. I didn't just remember that and, and think, hey, I'm going to really impress all the high schoolers, you know, that are here. I had to have somebody else tell me that. And if I'm wrong about that, Miss Shelley's going to find me afterwards, and she's going to let me know. Miss Edmonds will tell me if I'm incorrect about this. But I've been told it's a demonstrative pronoun. And demonstrative pronouns are used to point to something specific. And in this case, it's a singular demonstrative pronoun. Jesus submitted one specific behavior that was to be the identifying characteristic of his followers. By this, by doing this, everyone will know that you are followers of me, that you are my students, that you've been listening to me, sitting with me, eating with me, that you've been everywhere that I've been, watching everything that I've been doing, if you love one another. How we treat, how we talk about, how we respond to, how we care for one another is the identifying mark of a genuine Jesus follower. And it might surprise you to hear, it is not what you believe that makes you a follower of Jesus and distinguishes you as that. Nobody knows and nobody is changed or made better off because of what you believe. And it might surprise you to learn that it's not how you worship. It's not how you praise it is doing that makes the difference. It is doing that changes the world. Love, as Jesus defined it, is the differentiator. It is the means that which others know, oh, that's a disciple of Jesus. That's the person that knows Jesus. That's the person who has actually read their Bible. That's the person who is the true follower of God. And it means that our love for one another that it's going to be noticeable, it's going to be notable, and it's going to be distinct. Our love is made visible when we forgive, when we overlook, when we accept. We love through our empathy and we love through our encouragement. We show ourselves as having been loved by God by forming and being part of a community that is patient and kind and gentle and restorative and accepting. But you know, over the last couple of years, man, I've heard a lot from angry people. 
for a lot from angry people. People who are angry because of injustice. People who are angry because of fear. Angry because of confusion. Angry because of loss. I've heard from people who are angry because of resentment. Angry because of frustration. Angry because they just feel helpless. Angry because they are disappointed. So much anger. And the angrier that people become, the less love people are willing to share. But friends, injustice and fear and confusion and loss and resentment and frustration and helplessness and disappointment, these are no excuses for withholding the love that God has so freely given to us. And no amount of church attendance and no amount of Bible studies or service hours or tithes can make up for disobeying Jesus' one new command. Our discipleship is not about looking the right way. It's not about dressing the right way. It's not about following the right rules or keeping the right rituals or making the proper sacrifice or having, having all of that stuff together. We are not old covenant people. And we need to stop living like it. We are new covenant people. And the new covenant, Jesus says, you love one another. Not the way that you want to love. Not the way YouTube tells you to love. Not the way your favorite app tells you to love. Not the way your best friend says you should love. But you love other people the way Jesus has loved you. Period. There are not 600 commands. There's one. It's that simple. Now I want you to notice that the litmus test for being a card-carrying follower of Jesus does not involve anything remotely religious. It is relational. Woven in this command was a not-so-subtle shift from the, from the vertical to the horizontal. It's not about how you treat God, but how you treat people. Those who have been with Jesus will be identified not by the ritualistic right day of the week, festival-driven, don't-forget-your-goat worship of an invisible God. That's not what distinguished them. Following Jesus would not be about looking for ways to get closer to God. Jesus' followers would demonstrate that fellowship through their devotion to God by putting the person next to them in front of them. Jesus' followers were not expected to look up more. They were expected to look around and then love others like Jesus. You know, at best we can discern, the Bible indicates that the disciples were with Jesus for about three years. About three years. Not even the length of time that you're in high school. You're in college longer than the disciples were with Jesus. Some of you have socks older than that. You got shoes that need tea bags that are older than three years. But they were with Jesus for about three years. Now let's assume that they were with him about 10 hours a day. And for the sake of argument, let's say they had a couple of days off each month. That would give them about 340 discipleship hours, or discipleship days, excuse me, each year. Now let's do the math. 10 hours a day times 340 days times three years. 
That's 10,200 hours. 10,200 hours of discipleship time with Jesus. Some of you have read the book Outliers by journalist Malcolm Gladwell. And in that book, he writes about what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. And the underlying idea of this rule is that to become a master of something, it takes approximately 10,000 hours of practice, 10,000 hours of training to be able to put that craft into your toolbox and say, hey, I, I know how to do this. This is what I can do. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to take this on the road. 10,000 hours seems to be the magic number. It doesn't matter whether you're learning to play the violin or you're programming a computer, you're working on surgery, you're trying to hit a curveball. It's about 10,000 hours. Now, if we were to apply this same idea to Jesus' disciples, what craft is it that we would say they were mastering about the time their 10,000 plus hours came due with Jesus? Well, guys, right about time that they were hitting that 10,000 hour mark, Right about the time that three years with Jesus was ending, he says, a new command I give you. He says, I think you're ready. I think you're ready now. A new command. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. You don't get to choose who you love. You don't get to choose how you love. You do this, he says, and everybody will know that I'm your teacher. Everyone will know that you've spent time with me. Everyone will know what you've been doing the last three years. Everybody's going to know what you've done over these last thousands of hours. If you'll just love like I've loved you. Guys, Jesus shared his life experience with his disciples. And he did this, Mark tells us, in order that they might be with him and so that he might send them out. It was never Jesus' intention to keep his love to himself. The experiences that the disciples shared with Jesus, it laid the foundation for their ministry in the marketplace. And those shared experiences all had a purpose. These 12 disciples, as they were known, they would leave Jesus' table and they would take the love that they had been shown to other homes and to other communities. You see, they shared life with Jesus in order to share Jesus' love with others. And I want to call you to do the same. I want to call you to do the same thing. How many hours have you spent in a Bible class in your life? How many hours have you spent in a gathering like this one? How many retreats have you been on? How many conferences have you been a part of? How many apps have you used to have your own personal Bible study? How much... Christian music have you listened to in your lifetime? How many hours have you spent with Jesus? You see, spend time with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus and you walk with him through the gospels and you, you watch what he does and you listen to what he says. How many hours have you spent? And yet, have you ever asked yourself, what does the love of Jesus require of me? What does the love of Jesus require of me? You see, Jesus' new covenant commandment established his governing ethic for his new movement. And the imperatives that we find scattered throughout the New Testament, those are all just commentary 
And they are a simple application of Jesus' new command. It was simple, and yet it was all-encompassing. It was simple, and yet it is so demanding. Share the love that he has extended you. Share it to others. What does the love of Jesus require of you? Following him is that simple. Father, we come to you. We come to you acknowledging that we have made it very difficult. We've made it so difficult because we have come up with what we feel like. What we feel like you, you ask and, and you command and you demand of us. In order for ourselves to be right with you, in order for us to feel faithful, in order for us to feel good about who we are and what we're doing. But Father, I can't help but think that in all of our busyness and in all of our pursuit to try to, to make sure that we don't leave out anything that we think maybe is a command or something that we want you want us to do, I can't help but think that in all of our hurry to try to do everything, we have forgotten to do the one thing. We've forgotten to love one another like you have loved us. So, Father, I would just like for us to recommit ourselves to that simple, to that simple expectation. That we would ask the question, what does being loved by you require of me? What does being loved by you ask? What is my response to that love? I just pray that we are given more opportunities to demonstrate the love that you have given to us and demonstrate it to those who are around us, starting first with those who say that they love you and are followers of Jesus. And Father, we know that there are people who who love you, and there are people who follow you who, who are different than we are and who come to different conclusions about many different things. And Father, we have become so divided within our culture and we have become so much of an us versus them society. And oftentimes we get so wrapped up in it that we think, well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be and that's what we're supposed to do. And we forget we forget the command that Jesus gave. Love is he loved us. So Father, allow us to put aside the frustration and the disappointment. Allow us to be able to work through all of the things that have brought anger to us. And Father, don't allow that anger and don't allow those, those foundations of anger I pray it would not overshadow the love that we are to have for one another. It is my prayer that those who live around us and those who live in our homes and those who play on our sports teams and those who are in school with us, those who work with us, those who see us at the gym, that they would know today, that they would know tomorrow, that they would know next year, that we follow your son because we share love like he did. May that be the identifying marker for each and every one of us. Show us, Father, what love requires of us. And then give us the courage to love like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Church, as we close out this time together, we're going to sing another song. I believe it's called Clean. Is that right, J.D.? And we're going to sing about the way in which God cleans us from our unrighteousness. Because you know what? We, we are not naturally lovers of others. We're lovers of ourselves, but we don't really love others. And we especially don't love others the way that Jesus has loved us. But I'm so thankful that God says, you know what? Even when you don't love, I love you. My kids would get on the phone with my dad when they were little. And as they were ending the phone conversation, one of them would always say, I love you. And then there would be a race on both ends of the line to see who could say, I love you more. And they wouldn't hang up until back and forth it went from my dad to them. I love you more. No, I love you more. I love you more. No, I love you more. I love you more. No, I love you more. Church, can we go and can we love others more? Can we go and love others more and then hear God say, you know what, no matter how much you love, I love you more and then go share more of that. Can you do that this week? If you do that, then you will show yourself to be Jesus' disciple. If that's not how you've been living, I encourage you to come this morning. Can we pray with you? Can we pray that you might be a person who shows the love of Jesus and who says, I want to love you more than you've ever been loved before because that's how God has loved me. One of our elders will be back in our prayer room in the lobby if you'd like to have just some private time to talk through things that have been shared this morning. But if you'd like to come this morning to be baptized into Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, if you'd like to come again for prayers, whatever your need might be, come and be made clean as together we stand and sing.